0: Foreshadow podcast, seeking glimpses of heaven on earth through conversations about people's lives and work. Foreshadow is a Christian literary magazine, and this season, our theme is Songs of Ascents, Pilgrimage, and Worship, exploring the journeys we make in search of wholeness. I'm Will, and with me today is Josh. We will be reflecting on the past four episodes, asking each other questions about the experience of hosting them
1: yes as well as and i should have added this on the notes as well as our thoughts on the on the actual content itself
0: um <laughs> but, but do we do we really have thoughts though i mean have we ever had thoughts
1: we're only co-hosts yeah, so, yeah exactly. but, but today is different we will also be co-guests mm. that's
0: right Ooh. oh oh interesting maybe uh, put that down for future seasons i think uh What does it mean to be a co-guest and Mm. not just or a co-host simultaneously yes to live in in both occupy both shoes i guess as it were Uh, anyway uh...
1: (laughs) (laughs) yes i can see a theme of hospitality coming up
0: yes yeah the profound thoughts have already started uh and now the listeners have switched podcasts
1: (laughs) (laughs) well before we go into our thoughts Um, How has your summer been going,
0: Will? Well, um, though it is seasonally still the summer, my uh, formal summer break has concluded as of last week, Wednesday, when uh, school stuff began up again. I'm now in year one of (laughs) year one again. Of, of uh the phd program here at uh mm. in the same discipline of uh ethnomusicology here at uga so we'll see how long that uh goes on for hopefully not forever and forever but it'll be another few years before i'm i'm out and about in the real world doing uh, real or imaginary things i guess uh and uh but yeah it's exciting to be back in in the swing of things definitely a full plate and uh, we were talking beforehand about sort of juggling various items and figuring out their balances right so that they are juggled appropriately and people aren't hurt or, uh, you know, or I'm not blinded by, you know, an accidental dagger in the mix of uh, the juggle. You know, mm. I don't know yeah. how far to carry that metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, you get it. It's uh, it's uh, it's it's good to be back. It's also uh, there's a lot going on. And so. Uh, I will always crave uh, the beginnings of May, uh, <laughs> as as these these sort of moments of of deep breaths and and more open schedules, which I find ways to fill. But uh, now it's definitely uh, full and full for me. But how about you, man? What's up? How are well, things going?
1: Well, yeah. But I just want to say it's, I imagine it. Things are ramping up a lot more with you starting your PhD program. So, but really, congratulations on on starting that. And um, yes, you. and you were just starting your own journey through that. So um, speaking of journeys and um, yeah. yeah, but and for me, um, I, I guess I'm a couple of weeks behind you. My summer is still going on, um, but um, I will be returning to school at, at the local high school where I am a cover supervisor in a couple of weeks. But the summer has been um, really Uh, it's been great to be having my, my parents have been here for the past few weeks and spending a lot of time with their grandson, Caleb. And, um, and so they left just earlier today. And, um, and we, and Caleb already missed them. And, um, but it's been a good time and showing them around where we live and, and um, the weather has been a bit variable. So checking the forecast quite often, Mm -hmm. but um, there, there were really good times with them
0: nice nice and by checking the forecast you didn't mean uh going back and revisiting previous episodes of this podcast you meant quite uh the the literal weather forecast i i would reckon that that's
1: that's correct mm-hmm.
0: san, san diegans your your san diegan parents are not used to this forecast checking things it's not something we grew up doing very often um
1: i certainly didn't however you know, i you guess probably... with our
0: phone now updating it. yeah I was saying, I guess with our phones updating us now all the time, all of us are sort of getting, you know, little weather updates. And I know that San Diego is yes. actually having a tropical storm right now. I was just going uh, to say that, yeah. That being said, uh, typically, uh, weather is not the concern back in the in the homeland, as it were. <laughs> <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, I was telling my parents that this might be one of the only times when they leave England and arrive to a, a wetter climate in San Diego. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Maybe the only time, <laughs> at least in our lifetimes. Mm-hmm. Nice, cool, awesome, man. Well, talk to me, goose Yeah. Well, what are we? What are we looking at today? What are we going to look at first?
1: Well, well, first, we're sad to say, Jarrell um, is unable to join us today. It's been a as as he's told us, it's been a busy month for him.
0: So, Jarrell who? Jarrell who? Jarrell? <laughs> I don't know this. Yeah. No, yeah, Drell, we miss you, buddy, on this uh, episode for sure. And sorry, I just totally glossed over acknowledging your existence. But uh yes, we do look forward to your uh Dossett Tones. I think you've known you've technically known Drell longer because you guys went to high school together too,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh secondary school. And so uh gosh, you've probably known Drell now for 20 years. Um I guess
1: if not oh, more. Yeah. Um
0: you would have met in 2002. So actually, yeah, a little bit more, right?
1: Yeah, I think we became friends. It wasn't at the beginning of... Yeah, I guess it was around 2002. I don't remember exactly, but I guess you're right. It would be about... I guess that would be um, 21 years.
0: That's wild. Yeah. Hmm. Wild. Just sit on that for so... a second. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get on with it, shall we? Uh, The first episode we're going to be talking about Uh, was uh, the conversation I had with my father-in-law, the Reverend Dr. Paul Cornelius. Uh, That was episode 51, uh, for all you listeners keeping track of our episode numeration. And uh, we talked about uh, pilgrimage, obviously, journey, uh, but my father-in-law again, um, I call him Appa, that's like dad in uh, several different uh, Indian languages, but Uh, He's a theological educator. Uh, He's currently the president of William Carey International University that's based in Pasadena, California. Uh, And we talked about his experience of a transient life, which comes with challenges and opportunities for growth. Um, Also, important themes that came up were uh, uh, traveling companions, which in this case, again, includes my now immediate uh, family, my in-laws, who push us to sort of think differently about our experiences, especially reflect differently about uh, those experiences, um, Paul then uh, described uh, the need to develop skills to motivate people to join us when we have a vision and uh, are are being called into some sort of leadership role. Finally, uh, Paul mentioned that uh, it's the people and texts that nourish him uh, along that journey and throughout that season that sustained him, including Christ as his primary frame of reference.
1: Yeah. So um, I thought it was really um great to hear you speaking to your father-in-law and um so oftentimes in our conversations we've talked about how pilgrimages are done with other people people close to us so my so i'd like to ask you will um uh how, what was it like uh to to interview your father-in-law what was that experience like and how did you relate to what he was saying um in a more personal way so to give an example um, some of the things like being a perpetual pilgrim and the importance of people that are on our journey. I imagine those are things you can relate to as well. Um, and in our, our listeners will know that you've traveled to different parts of the world. So you are have that perpetual pilgrim lifestyle or you have had that. Um, so yeah, yeah, what was that experience like and how did you relate to it? The
0: topics. Yeah, I think it was definitely interesting. He and I, he and I at some, on some level have sort of had similar conversations before, so I think in some ways we were almost rehearsed for that moment. Um, mm. uh, it wasn't. It certainly wasn't scripted, and I didn't know exactly what he was going to say. It was interesting to hear sort of f- with some of my more direct questions, how he uh, formulated responses and what exactly he said. Uh, it was also interesting to kind of juxtapose that with the feedback I get from the people he's talking about, you know, his, his daughter, one of his daughters whom I'm married to. Uh, or like his wife, my mother-in-law, uh, my wife's sister, or my wife's brother, their their recollections and experiences of of his sort of journeying and the things that he's sort of uh, pursued and gone after. They there's a lot of uh, you know overlap and and <laughs> harmony in in terms of how some of those things are recounted or recalled. In other cases, there's it's interesting to see not like. A, like totally disparate versions of of what happened or where it happened or you know what exactly it was doing. Not a facts based sort of uh, uh, distinctions that emerge, but it's definitely interesting to hear the perspectives of those people who then were along for the ride or who were sort of who came along, um, uh, and and they all sort of talk about it in some uh, somewhere or another. Whether that was you know maybe kicking or screaming, I think Paul said at one point yeah. in the interview or. You know, uh, definitely on board and 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 willing to go there, and it, it it is too. I think one of the most interesting things that you know the listener can't quite have access to or not, but and I would encourage, as you do uh, listen to episodes, if you want to reach out to us or the the people who have given these interviews to to do that, to follow up and ask them questions if you like, or to take these interviews as fodder for your own conversations with people who've had similar experiences or your own experiences as as maybe uh signposts or roadmaps for your own sort of explanation, explanations and probings but again what i was saying that um something listeners you know wouldn't be able to then follow up on or hear about is then some of the ways that um uh i and i have mostly found fascinating is how my father in law's perspectives have changed we didn't he teased that out a little bit but like how Maybe in the moment, early on in his career and or what we would maybe say his ministry, he had like his beliefs and or his passions guided him and his family towards certain kinds of decisions or places, literal moves and places that now in retrospect, um, they probably wouldn't happen the same way or they wouldn't they wouldn't have done the same things or the same sorts of priorities they've shifted. And I think that's almost just as important of a lesson uh in this and that's probably the most significant thing and the thing i think i relate to most to answer your second part of that question too josh is is that as i've physically moved from place to place and often motivated by reasons that for me at least speaking now about myself were sort of uh religiously or spiritually motivated um the way i conceive of those motivations now or don't have them anymore or whatever you know whatever the gamut there is um that that changes my encounter and experience with the place that I'm in. It also gives me fresh eyes to see uh, what I've done in the past, not necessarily to look at upon it with regret, but to understand that this is how I thought then. And part of my journey, part of my pilgrimage and motif was to go through that, to go through to that place, to have that physical journey, but to have that growth of epistemology and, and belief and transformation there as well. So for me, again, my pilgrimage has been one that, you know, um, I was so-called called, you know what I mean, to go to a place and then literally called to go to a place or mm-hmm. opportunities open. And more and more now, I I think about those things in spiritual terms or in or in uh, obligatory terms or not very differently than I would have at the time. And that now subsequently informs how I continue to journey forward. Mm. So hopefully that's not too cryptic yeah. or too vague, no, but I think. I think that's definitely what I see hap- yeah. happening for my father-in-laws on, on some level, and then the people around him. But it's also, as I reflect and thought about that, I was like, "That's definitely true for me too," um, and and in a different way. Let me be clear about that. Probably in a different way, because uh, we're all individuals and unique. Uh, however, um, I definitely have that sense now, and part of part of getting to where I am now, it w- I could have only done that by having done what I did. <laughs> That's—I don't mean that to sound reductive, but that's 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 where it is.
1: Yeah. Um, I I I would love to ask you more about that. We we have a limited amount of time today. Right. Um. Um. I'm wondering if I can tie it into the next question that I have for you. Um. So. The next question was. Um. Th- thank you for sharing that, and and also and and I appreciate it. Also, Paul's. Um, sharing and openness, even though, as you say, there were a lot of things I wish we could have heard more from. Uh, but but sure. as you're saying, yeah. as you're saying, we can uh, listeners can ask question, ask us and and perhaps you can get in touch with Paul uh, and ask him if listeners have any questions. But um, in the conversation, um you Paul spoke a lot about leading people who have different visions, also leading people in a season of liminality and he Mm -hmm. referenced a book called how do you lead uh, people who don't want to follow or something like that. And so leadership uh, and in the Christian context, I think we would say servant leadership, um, is a, it was a big theme in your conversation with him. And Mm -hmm. so I I was wondering how that, um, how that resonated with your own experiences in ministry. Um, and and you've touched on that in your previous answer with regard to your Mm -hmm. understanding of calling. Um, and so I'm wondering if I can kind of be a bit sneaky and tie in another question here which is if you can say more about like how you, that your view of calling has changed um yeah. but but also how your view I guess of leadership has maybe changed um and yeah. and uh, how did it res- resonate with you
0: Yeah I and I appreciated that he he talked about that too that's definitely been a part of his story and narrative as uh as a a capable and articulate person who, you know, driven by, uh, a passion to, to serve people and to, to love them. Uh, that's very true of him. And I think that that's, uh, uh, that's propelled him into roles of leadership. And, and, and so, uh, not, not just the credentials or the paper, but like he's cultivated a disposition of, of, you know, someone who is looked at toward for leadership. Um, I, um, uh, in terms of like, well, let me, let me kind of go through that as systematically as I can, like the question, the, 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 the question you posed, um, as it relates to me as well, uh, if, if, if I can articulate something coherent, I will try. Um, but yeah, and by I the way, appreciate-
1: to our listeners, well, um, we, we have not, uh- Prepared these questions in advance, yeah, yeah. so I hope our listeners appreciate um, uh, th- just the the impromptu nature of these questions. So thank you yeah. will, for,
0: for accepting this question. Oh, of course, of course. And we, and it, I mean, in some senses, we we kind of know in reflection and review going into these that we will touch on these topics, I guess. But at the same time, yeah, this is definitely a quote organic. <laughs> <laughs> uh in response. But th- definitely things we I think b- in both the questions that we'll respond to from each other, the things these are things we're mulling over all the time. And we and again we hope by providing these, you know, podcasts, this is things that you are mulling over now too, or have been and now have again a, a conversation partner of sorts. Um anyways, to the to the idea of like leadership and and leading, you know, leading people don't want to lead. I think that there, are, I think within Christendom and in ministry especially, um notions. There are obviously different traditions have different notions of what leadership should look like and what leadership is. And even how you just couched well, as a Christian, we we talk about servant leadership. Uh, I'm not sure that's always true. You know what I mean? Maybe that maybe that's the uh, ideal or at least the terminological ideal, right? Servant leadership. Like those are that's a very Christianese way of of saying, it. you know, I don't mean that to disparage how you've couched it. I'm just saying that those terms, you would definitely hear that in a church somewhere out there and in a lot of different kinds of churches. There are certainly like megalomaniac church leaders out there or people who are, who are not good leaders, but maybe occupy leadership roles. And so identifying, um, I think one, understanding leadership, and I'm super thankful to Fuller Seminary uh, and that they do offer and offer specializations in and also offer courses in just the study of leadership, which can sound very vague and a bit fluffy to like very academic people out there. But I will tell you that considering it as a uh, understanding, like the ingredients of of good leadership, identifying as objectively as is possible, the qualities uh, that make leaders good and in and for the context that they're in. So if it's we're talking about uh, ecclesial bodies, church organizations, Nonprofits, there are there are different sorts of kinds of leaders that do well, and I we can't get into all the details of identifying, you know, and the, the famous authors who have helpful categories for doing that. I will say, though, that I know that my father in law's familiarity with that literature and his own experiences have certainly set him up um, as 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 good as it c- can get to to be in a place and this is where i again again i take a cue to be in a place to know that there's so much you don't know and or to be in a place to know that you need to like adopt a position of humility and flexibility wherever you go so as to like so as to uh to 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 be calibrated to lead well because anybody can get up there at the front of something and start telling people what to do or to bark orders or to cast a vision or whatever, and then, you know, trudge for it ahead. But if no one is following you, you're not a leader. (laughs) You know what I mean? You're, you're just a, a a butthead, you know, (laughs) to say that politely, (laughs) you know what I mean? (laughs) Or you're just, you're just, you're a solo mission doing whatever it was and you're probably damaging more people than you're helping them. So in whatever capacity you are a quote leader, um, And I think I do think uh, that our social structures are such that we 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 do need people who are leaders, people who can who can rally people, or who can cast vision, or who can help get people to where we're going. Because we're not it's not everybody's the same, and we all have different strengths and things to offer and contribute. And so, if you have the aptitude to do it and you want to do it well, I think it behooves you, like in anything to, to approach it with curiosity, to approach it with humility and, uh, and like having a spirit of, of gentleness and kindness will never, will never be bad as a leader. They're like strong quote, strong leadership or these things are often sometimes the, 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 the recipes for the most toxic environments that you could possibly be in. And that's, you know, certainly been my experience, both in leadership roles, having to learn that the hard way, and or being around people who are so-called leaders and being like, mm, I'm not sure this is this is for the best of the people that are trying we're trying to do this collective thing together and um something is off. And it could be not just because a vision is wrong, it could be because the means and modes of leadership uh are also uh faulty. And so I guess we can leave that there because again, we can can of worms that all day. But that's definitely something I've seen and something I admire, I think my father-in-law for because in uh, as much as he's been in a lot of leadership roles, and people definitely look to him, I don't think that he presumes to have all the answers all the time. Nor do I think he is uh, a megalomaniac by any means. And so that he is willing to sort of uh, listen and approach these opportunities with humility is a good lesson, um, and and hopefully something that translates to and not just to these sectors where you lead, but that like that kind of disposition. Uh, is true of you. It's a virtue, right? Almost that you adopt in a a a, uh, a way to be adorned character as your character in in, in yeah. and of the world.
1: thank you, will. thank you for um for that answer to that challenging question. and um, and I really could hear that from your conversation with Paul that that um I think I could sense that um aspect of his character coming through. So I think you chose a really good person to. Not only interview but to be um a father-in-law for you as well and, and to, to, you chose i mean you know to have people like that in your life
0: yeah it's incidentally i guess but yes but it, it, it they're, they're yeah in some ways the family is a package deal right so i'm glad i'm glad for it yeah i'm, I'm definitely uh definitely better for it for my my in-laws i love them all and, and appreciate everything that each of them uh brings to the table and adds uh to my life for sure yeah So, Josh,
1: episode 52. Yes. So, well, that was called The Way of a Pilgrim, Prayer and Pilgrimage. And so in that one, I shared highlights from the spiritual classic The Way of a Pilgrim. Um, I connected those passages with works that have been published on Foreshadow and with uh, this year's theme of pilgrimage and worship. And in the book, an unnamed peasant discovers oneness within himself and with others through continually calling on Jesus' name. On his journey to Jerusalem, the pilgrim describes the effects this prayer has on the people he meets and on his own experience. And um, my son Caleb just uh, pushed the door open, so I don't know if anyone heard him there, but that was a nice surprise.
0: Oh, no, didn't hear that at all. Okay. But uh, always, always a nice surprise for a uh, uh, emerging toddler to <laughs> join, Thanks. join in. Um, well, Josh, I guess my my primary questions after this episode, uh, one, I do appreciate and uh, I love the sort of sort of uh, pivot and breath uh, that such episodes provide us. We can get into like conversations and those can be um those are like very usually like very like uh, what's the word not localized but they're so specific to individuals that we that we're talking to their experiences and sometimes it can be difficult to resonate with what they're talking about and or it can be very like resonant. Also, when we we have this theme, they're located, that's where right, the localized that's why that word came into my mind. They're locating the theme that we have for the year in their own experiences and and vice versa. I think what happens in the episodes that uh, that like this one, you help like, give us a kind of a maybe another refresher or crash course, a more uh, overview of some of the ways this theme has played out in time and in other locations, and not so much with like an interviewed guest, but we get a little bit more of your insight and feedback, which I think is absolutely valuable to the listener. But you also reference these sort of more storied uh, sites of of input sometimes, or and things that I think people may not be as familiar with. Uh, so when you say the classic thing, I was like, "Oh, it was news to me." <laughs> uh, but I uh, I appreciated the encounter, and I wouldn't would not have had that encounter were it not for you kind of pausing on the sort of right now in space and time, more ethnographic, if I if I dare say, or to relate to my discipline, uh, kind of experience, and this more historic vantage point at this topic that we've been looking at over the course of the season so first and foremost thanks for offering these kinds of episodes throughout uh our seasons i think they're helpful thanks uh secondly my first question for you is um, as uh goes as such i i have a sense of how you might answer this question but i love not fully knowing and you getting to round in or color in what I, what I can't imagine for myself, but it seems to me that uh, pieces of literature like this in particular are, are something that you like leaning into. I think you, you draw, you seem to personally draw a lot from the, the this sort of uh, material. And so because of the, for personally and for your own sort of spiritual growth and development and insight, I'm wondering how, how you uh, uh, were able to, did you find it easy or relatable as, as a reader to occupy the, the role of the person who is narrating this story or the role of this main sort of character, this pilgrim and their experience, this peasant? Or is this something that you looked at at some distance and observed someone else doing? Where where was the relatability in this tale to you? And from what vantage point did you relate?
1: Hmm. I, I would say. In many ways, I, I, did, I did not relate to this narrator in the sense that in many ways, um, for instance, he's a, a widower. Mm -hmm. um he's also he has a he's he has a um a physical um kind of issue that keeps him prevents him from being able to to work um and so and so he has lots of time to be focusing on prayer um he's also on a on a physical pilgrimage to jerusalem i've never i've never been on well i've never gone on a pilgrimage to jerusalem or on a pilgrimage that far although by foot um and so, in many ways, um, I, I, I'm I'm in a very different place than he is or mm-hmm. was. Um, I guess in terms of age, he tells us that he's 33 years old, the same year that Christ was crucified. So I'm close to him, in that mm-hmm. regard. But um, so, in many ways, I could not relate to his um, external circumstances, but I could relate to him in the sense of his the way that he describes his spiritual journey how he um his enthusiasm and his uh discovery of the jesus prayer um mm-hmm. i could really connect with that i think those are things that people can more broadly connect with um yeah. from a v- vast array of experiences
0: hmm. yeah that's what and and that's kind of i think what i was what i imagined um uh, and part of what i figured was the impetus for sharing it to begin with it was this was something that on some level you connected with and so I guess the follow up question to that is is really just an extension of the same it's how much of of this kind of content do you think is either like illusory or uh instructive or is is something that maybe is is passé and there's just a couple of nice little nuggets here or there that maybe people can 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 take from um how how relatable in the 21st century are modern contexts um as as you've come to now experience and like you said there are some obvious unrelatable elements but in terms of like uh it being inspirationally relatable i may maybe or uh um uh, i hate to use words like epistemologically because it's like that's what does that even mean to some people but like how you know like uh or engage with your faith or understand your faith it was relatable uh, that seems to be something that, that comes across. So yeah, if you could say a little bit more on that, I think that would help me yeah. understand how valuable maybe this text is to someone who's maybe going like, why would I want to read about a peasant who's going on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem?
1: That's a good question. And that's why I think I hope I that the re- listeners after listening to it will find it relatable in their lives, because I certainly found it that way for me even though he's from a different country and you know all of these different circumstances his connection with god through prayer and through the jesus prayer enabled him to connect with other people with himself um in a way that um in to to say the least enriched his life mm. and i found that as i was reading that and journeying alongside him um i was trying to, to 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 do the same thing to pray in the same way and i found it to enrich my life as well um, to say the least, um, and and so a lot of and so I hope that, um, the listeners uh, could, kind of, try that out for themselves. Try out right. this this prayer, uh, this um, calling on the Lord's name, and and experience that richness. Um, and it touches on some of the themes we've talked about in other episodes about, um, um finding a reintegration with um ourselves with our bodies with um with other people different aspects of our lives coming together and um i think the narrator and i um have to a smaller degree than the narrator experienced that reintegration through um through this uh this prayer and so i hope that the listeners too can 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 benefit from that
0: Hmm. okay wow yeah i mean that's i think that's even though some of that I do think comes across in the episode, it's cool to kind of hear you articulate it in that way and maybe concisely in the form of a, of a posed question, um, yeah. or, or a proposed response, you know, uh, and I think that again, might be, I listeners take heed, you know, uh, if you will, uh, or if you won't, you know, who knows, <laughs> uh, but I appreciate that, Josh. Thanks.
1: Well, given the time, let's go on to the next, um, episode, which was one that I co-hosted as well, so that was episode fifty-three. What do we do when we arrive? And so that was inspired by Psalm one thirty-four, and uh, in that psalm, the uh, the psalmist describes arriving at the pilgrimage. That's the last of the songs of ascents, and so the question for that episode was: What do pilgrims do when they arrive at their destination? And so I reflected on a recent visit to Holy Island, Northumbria. And then I dialogued with three works that we recently published on Foreshadow. The first is Asylum, a poem by Linda McCulloch-Moore. The next is Found Poem Upon Arrival at the Abbey, a poem by Aaron Clark. And finally, the short story by Sandro Piedrahita called God Alone Suffices. So so a chance to reflect on arrivals and uh, as we Uh, finished the cycle of the Psalms of Ascents and then restarted it at the middle of the season.
0: Yeah. So my primary questions are, um, one will segue us well into, I think, our next uh, episode talk. So I'll save that one for a second. Um, And and just before asking the first two, I'll say briefly uh, back on the previous episode, and I think as it relates to this as well, Uh, I, I'm very curious about sort of sustaining discipline and, or the value of certain things that you might learn or acquire during pilgrimage or journey. So, so when undertaking a pilgrimage or, or making that journey, and this comes back a little bit to what I was saying at the beginning as well about my own experiences. Um, I wonder if you can speak to a little bit of what you encountered in both the poems that you, uh, read and maybe some and in talking to some of these people whose works that you've shared uh and or again in your own experiences um in in christian formation we often uh are instructed in different sorts of uh disciplines like and liturgies right you you participate in these rote um practices behaviors prayers things you do say stand kneel sing mm-hmm. uh you adopt new practices let's just use practice as the okay. word in a very uh in a very in a variety of ways sometimes and people often uh you you get this all the uh i i've encountered this a lot both personally again and or you, you hear people talk about it sometimes those practices are difficult to sustain so maybe you've had an incredible journey somewhere and then you arrive And I mean that in the literal or metaphorical or uh, less literal sense. You arrive. uh, What do I do now? Because the thing that helped get me here is no longer needed, or or it's useful. Or now I feel guilty if I don't do that thing anymore. Do I still need to, you know, say this thing? Uh, Is the you know is this particular prayer um, doing the same thing uh, uh, formationally for me or the people around me or Uh, Does, is God hearing it to say, you know, there's any number of things that people might, the, the Rolodex of concern starts to grow uh, in people's mind and the burden of sustaining certain practices uh, sometimes is a joy and other times for people, other times becomes just that a burden and a concern and a stressor like, oh my gosh, I forgot to, or I didn't how in the arrival uh, in your experiences, do you deal with sustaining uh, adopted, learned, or uh, uh, much beloved practices that were essential, or again picked up along your journey?
1: Yeah, hmm. that's a really that's a really good question, and I think it's going to take a lot of time to really unpack that. Um, I think so. So I think. Hmm. Maybe I'd like to ask you a question as well to help to unpack that. Though it sure. sounds like you're there's a you're making a connection between the practices and the arrival. Um, so I'm wondering if if uh, you could say a little more about your question because it um, it seems like in your question you are um, maybe assuming that the the travel uh, should look the same way as the arrival. Mm. Is that am I correct?
0: Well, no, I think I mean, not entirely wrong. i I think maybe I asked a convoluted question embed with within which was embedded um some some musings about uh practices in general and sustaining them, which is sort of a different question, which we can come back to. I will say i'll I'll maybe re restructure the question to, to just suggest, uh, and then this way you could answer very specifically, what have you done when you've arrived? <laughs> so at the end of a, at the end of a journey and at the end of, uh, of something, what is it? And, and we'll go backwards from there. And then we can get back to, okay. I think the what was very convolutedly embedded in my, <laughs> my question, what have you done at the end of, and maybe you can reflect a little bit about something you t- like in your own sort of journeying across, uh, when you're in Northumbria, um, what, what, what did you do when you get there and what was it like did it what was it fulfilling you know did it did it do a thing there was an ending maybe to that did that story end Um uh, just ex- describe that experience and i'll have a couple follow-ups okay s- small follow-ups from there
1: okay thanks for that might be helpful thank you uh so for me in, in the episode as i described it um um i guess both to the pilgrimage to northumbria and also i, I connected it with going to church mm-hmm. i often have not had you know something that I do when I arrive at church, or or oftentimes even to a, a holy site, I often like um not known what to do. Like uh, I think uh, the first time I went to Northumbria, um, I wasn't sure when I I mean to to a holy island, I wasn't sure what exactly to do. I felt like I'm at this special place, um, a spiritual place, but what do I do now? Um, I'll look around the church so I can intake some things, but. I wish that there was something else, some tools, or some something I could do to really uh, mark my arrival. But the second time I went to Holy Island, maybe by um, reflecting on a little more, um, and, and also my recent um, growth as an Orthodox Christian, um, and this relates to arriving at a church service, I've learned from other Orthodox Christians um, that what they do is when they arrive at church um, for worship, they will often make the sign of the cross. They'll light a candle. Many of them will um, show honor to God by bowing or kissing an icon. Um, those things I've started doing myself. And um, I find that it helps me to arrive more fully. Um, mm. And it helps me to to focus on what's happening, but also to, to, I don't know what exactly it is, but maybe through using bodily emotions, uh, not just in my mind, knowing that I've arrived, but in in the flesh, making the sign of the cross, lighting a candle, um those things helped me to feel more like I have arrived and to mark my arrival. So and so because of that, when we went to Holy Island, there were certain things that I did that I think made my arrival more special uh, and um similar to I think I described it in the episode as well, some of yeah. those things. so yeah, there's so there's a practice
0: right. there embedded. and that's kind of yes. where what's what I was getting at in that okay. very at the at the beginning question. And so, yeah, I'm I, just to offer some some thoughts on your response there. Um, yeah, it's interesting that you talked about, like, getting somewhere that you intentionally wanted to go to, but then not quite knowing what to do when you got there. <laughs> uh, a, a strange thing in a culture of doers. We, we live in a culture where doing is valued, right? Being busy is perhaps the most important trait of someone in the like let's let's say uh, the uh, uh, for lack of a better term and just ease right now we'll say the the wider Western world right we value being occupied and doing something putting putting rubber to the road or putting hammer to the nail or however you want to understand that and that seems to carry over into spiritual disciplines as well our practices like we ought to be doing a thing saying a thing, singing a thing, uh, participating. Now, being or existing is a very underwhelming and or difficult thing to nail so that you could arrive and just arrive and then have zero agenda. Is there is there value or is value the wrong is economic word or economic words unhelpful uh, when when describing uh, arriving after a journey or a pilgrimage? Which ultimately, again, this will segue us in a moment to talking about the episode with Pete Kelly. But is is it the is it the arriving or the journeying that ultimately matters most? And where does the formation happen? And my my thought on on that in, in the before and I'll obviously would love to have you respond to any of this before we make that transition. But most of the good movies that you see, I would argue, in all of time since there have been good movies to see. Um, arrivals don't happen at least they don't happen in the way because when they do happen they don't quite happen the way that they you wanted them to or you thought they maybe should have a lot of the better movies or stories for that matter just even skipping the movie have more open-ended uh non descript endings right where where they're just they're yet another transition they're yet another just sort of like this could now go this way or this could go this way a, a, a hard period or conclusion very rarely works in, in like good stories. I think, right. Uh, it's even true of us. If you, if you will, if we want to take it to that level, it's even true of sort of the, the Christian narrative. Uh, we don't have, at least in what we've inherited so far, there is no definitive period. Um, there is this, this open endedness of which we are now a part of, right. This sort of, uh eschatological po- possibility um where we maybe have imaginings of what a final thing would be. But the, in terms of there being a Jesus in space and time in the past, that was not the end of the story as as we always like to say in, in Christian contexts, right? And so I'm wondering how, uh, and that, that will now cycle back again to this notion of practices. There were certain things that you did that motivated you or you thought were helpful along the way. When you got there, I think of the, uh, Not uh, it's not Anchorman, but uh, maybe is it uh, Talladega Nights, Will Farrell's character? Or is he's just giving the interview. He doesn't know what to do with his hand. What do I do with my hands? And his hands are just, you can't see me on camera, but he doesn't know what to do with his hands. He just has to talk into the microphone. Like not knowing what to do is such an interesting thing for having done such a purposeful thing at the, at the onset. Again, not a critique, but just a very, uh, uh, I find that to be quite a conundrum. Um, and that you have found things that are helpful is uh is interesting how do you then do the does sustaining those things matter and or um or should we start rethinking the way we um uh, think about being versus doing when at, at the back end of a pilgrimage or should we think of that as just yet another step to then pivot and journey back or go somewhere else what are your thoughts on that
1: yeah there's a lot there and i think um i guess when i want to first start out by saying, uh, alluding to your conversation with um, Matt Bickett and Mm -hmm. how he was uh, describing his reading of uh, St. Gregory of Nyssa Mm -hmm. and describing um, on the one hand, this modern uh, notion of progress as being like trying to ascend a sand dune where you're climbing up and sinking. Mm -hmm. But then Gregory of Nyssa's uh, notion of progress as being this never ending spiral in Descending into the depths, um, and and so we will never arrive at. And I think this is, goes to what you're saying about the Christian mm-hmm. understanding that we never, we will never arrive at a state of uh, static perfection in God. There's always this deeper perfection that's happening. Um, but I think there, it, it being a spiral. If I if I remember my theological studies correctly, that Gregory Nyssa, of Nissa talks about the spiral. There's still turns on the spiral, like like in a labyrinth. There are certain points at which one can take a break and and reflect on the journey. And they're kind of like markers that that uh, note that um, kind of mark a turn in the spiral, or um, and so you can kind of mark where you've been before. Kind of like um, cairns, you know, when you're when you're, when you're on a walk, uh, on a hike up a mountain, there are cairns that mark um, mark how far you've gone and and I think we've we've discussed that in a previous conversation mm-hmm. yeah. too. And I think of those as the arrival points. Um, so it's not that we've so I'm not so I think it's not that we've ever fully arrived, but uh, there are these points that we can stop and 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 mark. Um, but I think. Um, so so if I understand your question correctly, may um, I wonder if you're asking, what is the value of making the sign of the cross? Of um of lighting a candle um, of prayer. If, if am I correct? is that is that what you're asking? or um, yeah
0: because... large, l- yeah, largely, I mean, th- those are those are very specific things. Those are specific, you, not just uh, practices, but quite just very simply like uh, gestures or whatnot. are those things that those are things that uh, mechanically make sense in the moment because you join in with people who have been doing it for centuries or it it felt like the right thing to do or it's something that do you need to sustain that is that the thing that that is the best marker is it are you doing them because again this and this was more the 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 deeper concern or question is are you doing them because you think you need to do something now that you have come to a destination Ah,
1: okay you know what i'm
0: saying um or um uh and this could be it's purely intellectual too purely like thoughts it doesn't even have to be like a a, a practice a, a rehearsed set of, of of just even the practice of reflecting right it could 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 be caught up in this um i'm wondering um yeah i mean it could be fodder for a conversation and stuff for for another time too as we as we keep going forward but all to say i'm just wondering yeah like how much um um uh, both notions of like needing to do things and especially as as doing at a destination when the doing was maybe the getting there that's interesting to me and uh, and that you felt like a burden to do a thing is interesting um and then finally Okay, okay but the value of 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 arriving versus getting there is really ultimately. And if okay. the, yeah. the practices along the way or the practices there are things that are sustainable in the long term, or do we need to sustain them? Are they good for what they were good for in that moment? Or are those things that you then hold on to that Ebenezer, you know, that remembrance, do you need to keep that around so that you never forget the journey?
1: Yeah. I think that really, if I understand your question, I thank you. Thank you for explaining it more. I think that might be the answer to it at least because I don't really know the answer to it myself why it why i felt the need for it and why mm. why doing those things helped me to f- more fully arrive sure i would say one thing i think also is maybe it's not that i feel the need to do those things but uh, like in terms of um
0: obligation or something obli- yeah
1: it's not obligation but it helps me to open myself up more to mm. receiving the place and the the gifts of that place Ooh. but i think what you said there might be um, i resonate with what you said there is that by doing those things not only does it open me up to that place more i think and to whatever i might receive there but it also is a way of mark, uh, perhaps marking that i ha- am there the way that setting up a cairns uh, you know um stones is it's um perhaps i and i'm just kind of refle- i'm just kind of reflecting i'm not sure if that is why i do it because uh um but it certainly does mark my arrival in in a physical way that is more memorable than if I don't do it. But I think to, why do I do it, my answer might be more that it, it opens me up to, um, to the the gift of that place.
0: Um, that's rich, man. That's good, and that's really helpful. I'm sorry that we had to that we had to meander through a bad badly worded question to no, get there. No, I'm sorry that I, I very helpful. It takes me a
1: while to understand things, and so I, I'm glad I thank I'm glad I understood what you're asking. So
0: thank you. I'm I'm, I'm glad that I asked something understandable. Uh, Well, with that, we should pivot to the final episode of this review. And that was one that I did with uh, Mr. Pete Kelly, a friend of mine from down in the Tampa, Florida uh, area Uh, with Pete. I talked about his journey and his pilgrimage, quite literally on the uh, Camino, um, that famous pilgrimage that begins in uh, uh, France and then finishes In uh, in, uh, coastal Spain, Uh, Pete walked 500 miles with a friend on the Camino de Santiago, and uh, he uh, highlights in the episode the solitude and reflection that the Camino gave uh, him even in the midst of sharing a journey with countless other pilgrims, both living and dead. Um, And also he talked about hearing the diverse stories of other pilgrims and how that sustained him uh, through the challenges along the way.
1: Yes, and I really appreciated hearing Pete's experiences and it worked um worked well alongside a post we recently posted of Jacob Sandigo and his photographs and reflections on his journey. He started from Portugal. Um so I didn't know that there were these different there was the there were these different routes to get to um uh to their destination in um of um at, 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 to get to the destination. Mm-hmm. Um so Given the time we have, I just I'll ask one question. Will, um, what struck you most from this conversation? Um, how did you change if you did through through your conversation with Pete? And what did you gain from it? Hmm.
0: Um, I've not known Pete for a really long time, and so it was cool in some ways to actually just get to know Pete a little bit more through this conversation. I mean, we have spent some time together, and we've done some collaborative endeavors, whether that be church music stuff or uh, fishing. Uh, so it was good to just catch up with him in this way and to learn a little bit more about kind of what's going on inside his head as he thinks through and reflects about these experiences. I think something that I appreciated about Pete, uh, and something I take from it personally is, um, is, a, is more of a Pete dispositional thing that I don't know that I can necessarily replicate. And going back to what we were just talking about, I don't know that I will feel the burden to replicate it in, in the way to, like, to be like Pete, but I am inspired by Pete and it gives me pause, at least in my own sort of hurried life to think about being uh, a little bit more reflective and introspective and to think about things uh, and to really listen to what's going on in and around me through others' voices and their experiences as uh, as both uh, maybe a mirror, more of a mirror to my own than I would normally uh, uh, have paid attention to or paid mind to, but also as being sort of commentaries on ways in which um, I can be grateful for dimensions of my existence in life or ways in which I can be more thoughtful about the needs of other people, whether that be in a circumstance of you know it's not going to be in the circumstance at least right now of me being on that specific path but um that's transferable i guess to me being a better neighbor here and now a better listener here and now and and that those stories have value to shaping my journey Mm. uh my my more meta narrative journey my life journey uh i think that's valuable and that's like what Pete said. And that maybe is uh, the most obvious thing that everybody knew from the get-go of this season and from uh, the get-go of his uh, interview is that the Camino is a metaphor for life, right? <laughs> and so yeah. journey, the journey is, the, is that that journey is a metaphor for the life journey. Uh, and I loved how he talked about not celebrating at the end, but, you know, just having this sense of like deep gratitude and fulfillment, uh, uh. There's even like a somberness there. There's just this like very measured sort of response that's a little bit different than just like the woo. I walked, however, you know, like the fifty kilometers versus the five thousand. And so I'm I'm really um, yeah I really was thankful for that. And I think that's a helpful again just meta narrative. The pilgrimage as the as the narrative for life's journey to listen to the people around you and to take from them, but also to spend some time um, it's okay to be in solitude. It's okay to do some introspection. Um, uh, it may not always be comfortable, but that's a good thing to practice and a good thing to do. Great.
1: Well, um, well, well, I really enjoyed this uh, format that we had to, um, hear from one another and I'm sad that we don't have enough time to speak more and ask each other more questions, but I, I look forward to the the final review of the season in five episodes time Hopefully, mm-hmm. Jarell will be um, with us for that one, mm-hmm. and, um, and if our listeners have any questions they'd like to ask us, um, please, as Will said earlier, feel free to email us at foreshadowmagazine at gmail.com, and we'll try to answer those on uh, the next episodes. So if you enjoyed this episode, if it would help if you write a review, um, email us, or connect on various social media platforms. And you can visit foreshadowmagazine.com to read new writings and listen to other conversations and um, sign up for a free newsletter sharing new work every week. So um, thanks, Will, again. It was a, it was great to do this with you. And thanks thank you. Passion. Yeah. And thanks to our listeners for listening. Um, so you've been listening to the co-hosts and the co-guests. And thank you for being co-listeners. That's the forecast for today.